either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A big week in theaters and a big week in streaming. Just a big week yeah, all the is. way around. So let's dive in. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with the story of just one word and fighting for the survival of the entire world when a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. It's Tenet. do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear Holocaust? No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors, some of the wrong ones, too. Well, that was a mouthful. The movie's a mouthful. The movie <laughs> is a head full, one of two we've got to talk about, uh, heady movies this week. But yeah, this is the one, of course, we've been hearing about it for a while. The theaters were waiting on this movie, and the movie was waiting on the theaters. Yep. And finally, they're all together. And it worked out well because... I can see why Christopher Nolan was adamant about this on the big screen. I can't imagine it anywhere else. It looks fantastic. It really, really does. And one of the things I think that we want to just be cautionary about right up front, because we've seen it twice now, and you've probably heard by now, perhaps, that people have a lot of complaints about the sound mix. And then there's even a big article about, is his are his movies always too loud? What we discovered was, if you want to see it, if you're a big fan, and if you care a lot about sort of presentation, you want to find a theater that has professional projectionists yep. because the truth is he has a very complicated scheme and there's a whole key and there's a whole and and so we have found in one of our viewings the sound mix was quite bad and then in the 70 millimeter that we saw at gateway film center the sound mix was great that's the thing we we know we're extremely lucky living here in columbus ohio it's one of seven theaters in the country that uh, have this in 70 millimeters. So, yes, we're, we're very lucky, and that's probably why it sounded so much better and looked glorious. But there is a chance, depending on the theater you see it in, where the sound mix may drive you a little batty. Right. Um, Especially and, because so many of the characters have, have thick accents. And some wearing masks. And, and they're wearing masks. Yeah. And, and, you know, the first half of the film is pretty dialogue-heavy. Yeah. So yeah. it can be a, a little tough. It can be. Yeah, and uh, to, to sum it up without a physics degree is a little bit hard, but we know with Christopher Nolan it's going to be very, very head-trippy. And this one is about not so much time travel, but the technology of time inversion, allowing things and then later people to move in time opposite to everybody else. Either you're moving forward while everybody else is moving backward or vice versa. So the the future is communicating with the past, trying to head off a, a coming war, and it uh, involves our protagonist. He never does have a name. No. The protagonist, yep. CIA agent, played by John David Washington, Denzel's son from mm -hmm. Black Klansman. And he sets it up as very much of a 
sci-fi James Bond. There's so much about this. This is like an ultra-level James Bond. It is. You know, I think a lot of people, ourselves included, went in thinking this was going to be akin to Inception. And I mean, it certainly is the closest, I think, of, of Nolan's films to Inception. But I don't think it's, I think it's much closer to a popcorn movie for me. And it definitely takes a lot of nods from James Bond. Boy, it really does. And as he gets pulled into this mission to find out more about uh, how these these weapons are being sent back from the future and then how you can avert this coming war he gets uh, help from a mysterious partner named Neil played by Robert Pattinson who, who steals the movie he's he's a delight and we have said it many times anybody who's still sleeping on Robert Pattinson get over it the guy is great <laughs> He, he's, he's Women great. the world over just went, oh. <laughs> I know. May I please sleep on Robert Pattinson? I'm not speaking for myself. I uh, think he's very talented. But he is. Yeah, he's, he's, ex- he's extremely talented, yeah. and he's really good here. It plays off well with John David Washington's character because oh, yeah. he is more of the straight-up James Bond. Although I will say, one of the highlights of this <laughs> highlights of this movie, what? He could have said the hot sauce line. <laughs> no, I'm not going <laughs> to. No, I'm not going to spoil that. He does get off some good, a couple of good wisecracks. Uh, yeah. One that was like, really? Did you just say that? But yeah. a couple of good ones. Yeah. Anyway, this movie is very athletic. And I had forgotten that he played college football. Yeah. And he also had a tryout with one of the NFL teams, I forget who. And that comes in very handy here because he looks great doing these fight he scenes. Does. The fight scenes are so well choreographed. Everything, some of the stunts here are just mind-blowing. They, they just again, benefit from the biggest screen you can have. They yep. look fantastic. Yep. He doesn't... Christopher Nolan is known for not being wild about green screens, trying to do as much of it real as he can, and it, the film benefits from it. There are some fantastic, fantastic visuals in this movie. There are some times when the dialogue gets a little clunky, yeah, uh, just a little bit, a little cliched, but for a two-and-a-half-hour running time, it kept our interest, yeah. especially because just about halfway through, man, it ups the ante, and then the final stretch just zooms. Yeah, yeah, no, it really does. And uh, characters sort of reveal themselves, and the looping nature of the <laughs> film really, really works in its benefit. And yeah, past meets present with some some serious, you know, shebang. It's it's a fun movie, especially once that happens. Yeah, and we talked about Robert, Robert Pattinson's character also. Part of the uh, the way that the uh, the good guys, I guess, are trying to uh, get to the bottom of what's happening, are they're trying to get to and have access to this Russian oligarch arms dealer played by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> Although he pretty much dials it down, he's a little dialed down, and here. they get access to him through his wife, played by Elizabeth Debicki, who's everywhere right now as well. Mm-hmm. She's, for tall girls. And she's very good. She's man, she's tall, but. Um, I think those two characters, her character and then Robert Pattinson, they go a long way for me toward humanizing the movie. They seem more like they have more layers as far as human emotions than a lot of the other characters. Although you you brought up when we were talking at lunch, the protagonist, John David Washington, does have a very interesting arc. He does. And to really talk much more about that, I think, gives too much away in terms right. of the, the, right. the, you know, the, the way the film progresses. But I did very much like how his character progresses through it. Debicki's character, I thought Debicki's performance was great. I thought, as I said, I think Pattinson stole the movie. But I think Debicki's performance was very good. I didn't love the character. I felt like the character was more of a vehicle of convenience Mm -hmm. than an actual character. But 
even so, her performance was strong enough to make that not really a handicap. Yeah, so we, we enjoyed it. And I will say this. It's a movie because it's so, even though it tells you three or four times through characters in the movie, not to overthink things. Yeah. Don't, just go with it. Yep. You'll want to probably see it again. And I, seeing it again just last night, I, I got a real kick out of it. Yeah. I, I got, you get some extra, because now you know, yeah. and little things early on mean more, right. because you know what they're looking at, and exactly. you know what they know. So if I, I, we would recommend seeing it twice, um, if you have the interest, because it really adds something the second time around. But but aside from some some clunky dialogue here and there, and uh, and like you mentioned, maybe a, a convenience of, of the one character, we don't want to go into it too much. We enjoyed it. Yeah. We enjoyed Tenet very much, and it is definitely a big screen vehicle. So I understand why he wanted to hold out. And um, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this, about how it's a test case right now for the other movies that are on the docket for the rest of the year. We'll talk about that when we go to the lobby. But all in all, we say go see Tenet, maybe twice. The other big release this week is in home streaming. It's a young Chinese maiden disguising herself as a male warrior in order to save her father, Disney's Mulan. Citizens, we are under attack from northern invaders. Their leader calls himself Orikan. Fights alongside a witch. No survivors. By edict of his imperial majesty, every family must contribute one man to fight. Have you no son? I am blessed with two daughters. I will fight. Loyal, brave, and true. It is my duty to protect my family. I'm Hua Mulan. I will bring honor to us all. Let's get the technical stuff out of the way right now. The business of Mulan. If you have Disney Plus, you're going to have to pay another $29.99 to access it. But then you pretty much own it. You can watch it as many times as you want to without any expiration. If you want, if you have Disney Plus and don't want to pay that, if you wait for three months, it'll be on for everybody without the extra charge come December 4th. Yes. All right. Does that take the lawyers out I of it? I think it does. All I right. think it does. Uh, we like this. This is another one where... It looks fantastic, and it's a shame this one didn't go on the big screen because it really would look great on the big screen. Its, it's visuals are great. It's framed well, and all in all, I think this is a really step, a, a real nice step up in the evolution of this story. I mean, if you look at the actual folk tale, it goes back, I mean, it's centuries. Yeah, uh, like 385 or something the first time. And when it was written down in, in uh, China, it was an epic poem, you know, about... A disguised female warrior named Mulan. It's actually been made into a million different adaptations in Asia. But, of course, the most famous one here was the 98 uh, animated Disney film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now they're back, taking it live action. And the director is Nikki Caro from Whale Rider was her big breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Another coming-of-age story. Yes. And uh, she's a New Zealander. Mm -hmm. And, boy, I I thought it was really staged well. Uh, I mean, some of these big, large, first of all, the landscapes, the vistas, fantastic. The colors pop. But the homage to the Wuxia genre of filmmaking. Right. Probably most famous in the United States with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, films such as that. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's really represented well here. It's it's choreography. The fights, we were just talking about fight choreography in Tenet. Fantastic here as they're flying around and Mulan is kicking swords and things like that. Oh, yeah. and as they're fighting. I was very, very impressed by it. And they make some nice 
changes, some wise choices about making this story even more empowering. Right. And, you know, if you saw Well Rider, I don't think that it's a big surprise that the director was able to make such an effective girl power coming of age film. But I do think that if you're familiar with the rest of her work, the choreography, the visual elements, the sort of spectacle of this movie... They're even more impressive because it's really just up to now you would not have known it was in her wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. But I definitely appreciate the way that the film does take quite seriously Mulan's agency and her choices and her sort of sense of responsibility. I like the way that they handle that and the performances across the board are are fairly subdued, uh, very earnest but I a think, great cast. Yeah, a great, a great cast. cast. And it's led by, um, her name, I get, get her name right, Yafei Lu plays Mulan, who I guess has been a, a pretty major star in China for a while, mm-hmm. now being uh, recognized by American audiences. She's at the top of the cast. But going down the list, you're going to see some uh, recognizable names and faces. Donnie Yen, yes. um, Jet Li, mm-hmm. Jason Scott Lee. It's a cast that really surrounds Mulan well with uh, the, the authenticity of the the lore of the period. And it, it just... And ha- veteran talent. Just veteran talent. talent. No, veteran yeah, I talent. agree. And and she is, you know, she's... Lou is, has more experience than American audiences are aware of. So, I mean, to us, she's a very fresh face that we've not seen before yeah, on the whole. Yeah, she started uh, eight years old. Yeah, yeah, but she does have... Um, she's got a grounding about her that makes it, you know, feel like... she She's certainly somebody who knows what she's doing. She has drummed up a bit of controversy... In uh, in the months before this this movie made the leap to actually being live, and the the choice of director has also stirred up some controversy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know while it's great to have a woman at the helm of a, a female centric female centric yeah. film, a lot of people were curious as to why a, a film so steeped in Chinese folklore doesn't have a Chinese sure. director, yeah. and I think that that's a, a really valid question to mm-hmm. have. Yeah, it is. On the whole, though, I think this came out. Boy, almost as as good as you could expect. I mean, uh, I was really impressed with it. Um, we should say that it's PG thirteen. Yeah, uh, it might be not for the youngest of the family because even though you don't see any blood, there is a, quite a bit of violence. Yes, it's there are a lot of, of uh, battle sequences. A lot of people die. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it is handled with some restraint and, and elegance. And as you said, there is no blood, but there's also no little talking dinosaurs or excuse me, dragons. <laughs> dragons. I mean, it's you know, it is it's not aimed at very young children at all. But what they do do with some. Other animals and, and birds is just beautiful. Some of, some of the way they work oh, yeah. it in. Don't want to spoil anything. Just beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, it it really is. So it's a it's a case where I think it could be, except maybe as we said, for the littlest one, it could be a really nice watch for the whole family. And again, if you do shell out the twenty nine ninety nine right now, you can watch it as many times as you want to. And uh, it's uh, of the of the Disney live action adaptations we've seen so far. I'd put this one right up there. And also, I did notice in the writing credits, uh, a couple of the writers that were involved in the entire rebooted trilogy of Planet of the Apes, which I thought, looking back on that trilogy, they were able to add so many layers to that. To a story and, you thought you already knew. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they do it here, not to the same, of, not to the same degree, no. but they do do a, a fine job. And it didn't really surprise me to see that the writers here had that sort of, uh, sort of resume behind them. I think they did a good job with Mulan, streaming now on Disney Plus Premier Access.
Next up, the story of a young woman full of misgivings traveling with her new boyfriend to, to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. This is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary. And time passes through us. <laughs> blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. And we thought Tenet was a mind bender. <laughs> This is the latest from Charlie Kaufman. He's not only writing, he's adapting a novel. Uh, he's writing the screenplay, and he's directing this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy just thinks about things in a different way. When you think about the things he's written, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He wrote Being John Malkovich, Adaptation. So he just, his stories go in some wild places, and this one is certainly no different. He is... An absurdist in the traditional sense. He uses ridiculous and, and bizarre situations to poke humorous fun at the pointlessness of human existence. <laughs> that, you know, that's what he yeah. does. I know. I know. Uh, it is because it starts out so innocently enough. She's going to meet his parents for the first time and they have a long drive in the snow. The girlfriend is Jesse Buckley. The boyfriend is Jesse Plemons. Right. And then once they get to uh, his house, the parents are Tony Collette and David Thewlis. And that's pretty much the cast. And they're all great. Yes. And then it just turns into this existential Twilight Zone nightmare. Yeah. Where what is happening? Yeah. Are we going a forward in time? Are we going backward in time? We're a lot of time traveling yes, this week. Yes, sort of. Uh, what is happening? Who is she? Who is he? It's it's crazy, but in the end, it's one of those movies. First of all, there's you you, you might hate it. I mean, you just might hate it. Oh, it's yeah. going to be very very polarizing. But if you're familiar with Charlie Kaufman and the types of stories that he comes up with, it's one you're going to be thinking about for a while. And what was it? What is it really speaking to? What is it talking about? There, people coming to grips with their failings, uh, coming to grips with how they've. They've told themselves how, how they've lived, the story of their life, and then finding out, well, maybe that's not quite true, and having to face just that. and telling yourself and retelling yourself yeah. and retelling yourself, and how you're thinking about it one minute is different yeah. than how you're thinking about it another minute. Yeah. And then also, I think there are moments where this feels somewhat autobiographical, although I, I personally think everything he writes is to a degree autobiographical, mm -hmm. but in that... It's about the futility of trying to make meaning of your life through art. A lot of this is. Yeah. And so you can also you can also expect an interpretive dance segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which sort of <laughs> makes sense they, somewhat organically because it turns out the character, the, the man, is a fan of musicals. Yes. And specifically the one that comes up is Oklahoma. And that musical was one of the first to do long stretches of just dance without any dialogue or singing. You know what? I had no idea that that was true. I've never seen Oklahoma. <laughs> so, oh, well, you know what we're going to watch tonight? No, there's not a, there's not a chance in hell we're going to watch Oklahoma But it tonight. is. There's a lot of that 
speaking on the pretension of dropping philosophers that I've read yeah. and or, or shows that I've seen or oh, things. Oh, and there was a very oh. long Pauline Kael interlude. About film criticism. <laughs> oh, man. it's a, We could just go on and on about this movie. Uh, you know, in a, in a way, even more so than Tenet. Yeah. This thing just messes with your head like you would not believe. At the same time, it felt eventually a little, it, it, well, self-indulgent to me. It, it, it really did. And on the one hand, I think that the, the long, drawn-out nature of it really increased the dread. I mean, it was a nightmare. It was very similar to my own literal <laughs> nightmares, this movie, by the end of it. Um, but, you know, one of the things about his work is that when somebody else directs it, you know, Spike Jones found, like, this melancholy sweetness um, and, uh, in in being John Malkovich. Uh-huh. And, well, he's and, got the melancholy here. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine, also there is there's a sadness, but there's a little bit of whimsy in both of those. He lacks whimsy. He's got no whimsy. Um, you know, when he directs his own material, it's very dry, just unapologetically absurd. Well, and from what I understand, the book was more of a psychological thriller. So I, this movie is not that. No, but we were talking about it. He the, the movie adaptation is his tortured experience trying to adapt a nonfiction book for the screen. And yeah. so instead, he just created two warring fictional stories that have almost nothing in common with the original version because the guy is nuts in yeah. a good way. <laughs> I mean, I am such a massive fan of his. I, I so admire his work. It's, but n- if you know you don't like him, right. you will hate this movie. Hate it. It's it's unlike anything you're going to see. It's a case where we say we liked it, where, whereas a lot of people are going to hate it. Yeah. So take that... Uh, how you will, but it's it's one that you will not forget, let me no. tell you that. And that is, I'm thinking of ending things, and it is now on Netflix. It is. Documentary next, it's an intimate portrait of Robin Williams and his invulnerable spirit, the story of what really happened to one of the greatest entertainers of all time and what his mind was fighting. This is Robin's Wish. I was called in to go over the coroner's report. It was the beginning of understanding what had really gone on. My husband had unknowingly been battling a deadly disease. He was always able to power through it, and he'd become this guy that you knew, remembered, and loved. The way that he was able to battle the inner turmoils, he was a freaking warrior. It no longer feels loyal to be silent about it, but maybe more loyal to share. He wanted to help people be less afraid. Self goes away. Ego, bye-bye. The thing that matters are others. That's what life is about. Well, if you love Robin Williams, and honestly, who doesn't love Robin Williams? This is something that you probably are want to see, will want to see, although it's certain to make you sad. It does make you sad uh, because we obviously know what happened to Robin Williams. But the main mission of this film, and it's from writer-director Tyler Norwood, with a big assist from Rod, Robin Williams' widow, Susan Schneider Williams, the main goal of this film is to set the record straight about his final days, because since his suicide, his case has been pointed to as, as pretty much another sad example of depression. Mm-hmm. And they want you to know, while depression did, did touch his life, it's not what took his life. After he died and they performed an autopsy, they found out he was suffering from Lewy body dementia, a, just a debilitating degenerative brain disease that can cause hallucinations and an extreme lack of sleep and paranoia and some paralysis and you name it. And uh, he was suffering from that, unbeknownst to anyone. 
And that is what led to his suicide. So that's what this film wants you to know. They do do, of course, a career overview that is very informative, but probably not much new mm-hmm. uh, for anyone familiar with Robin Williams. There's not a whole lot, lot new there. And they do, you do hear a lot, of course, from his widow, Susan, including their very charming story of courtship and mm-hmm. getting married and all that. It is a bit odd that you don't hear from anyone else in his family. Right. You hear from some friends and some neighbors that lived around him there in California, but it's just a little bit like, I wonder why, and you're never quite sure. But it does accomplish what it sets out to accomplish and sets the record straight and is very informative and sad about how he's still, and, and sad but hopeful at the same time and inspirational because you realize that he still found, right up until his last few days, joy in bringing joy to other people mm. and, and, and making them laugh, as he did so, so, so well. And so it's, it's, a, it's bittersweet, of course, but good, I understand, from a family's standpoint, to want to get that out. Because I had never heard of right. this affliction. And yeah. now, it's funny, now I just heard the other day, because baseball great uh, Tom Seaver, he just passed away, and they said he had it. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing where more awareness is, is certainly not going to be a bad thing. And if you're definitely if you're a fan of Robin Williams, I would recommend this, and it's streaming now, Robin's Wish. Another documentary next about sharing our cultures through universal themes like music, family, friends, and art within the backdrop of Berlin's winter landscape. It's called A Step Without Feet. I can be wherever, in Syria or in Germany or in America. It's how you feel. If you feel like I'm good, I have everything I needed. This is the home. Because everywhere there's some home for us. Over the last few years, I don't know how many documentaries the two of us have seen about that focus on the war in Syria. A lot. And they are often brilliant and so brutal and so hard hard. to watch that I was really, I was so glad to see one that focuses on a handful of refugees and really just how well they're doing right now in Germany. Step Without Feet is that film. Uh, it doesn't give you a lot of context. That would be the downside is that if you, you know, unlike, I mean, if you're not really familiar with the war in Syria, they don't give you much of an idea as to exactly what they were going through or exactly why these particular people had to leave. But what you do see is the the bittersweet nature of making a new home when you cannot go back to your your original home, what it's like to miss that home and and what it's like to use in most of their cases art. You know, one is Mm -hmm. a dancer, one is a writer, one is a musician, you know, and and then also food and faith and how all of that transcends these, the the sad past and not only connects them to each other, connects them to their home, but but just makes the film universal, makes you see yourself in these people, which I think is very powerful. Yeah, the co-writers, co-directors, Jeremy Glaholt and Lydia Shamshula. Apologize if I butchered those, but you're right. When you see, especially now for us, when we've seen so many and we see another documentary on this, you're like, oh, and I know that's such coming from such a a pampered viewpoint. Oh, we just have to watch a movie about it. And these people are living it. Totally plead guilty to that. But to find one like this that uh, is hopeful. Yes. It's really a welcome, welcome angle to take with it. And that is a step without feet. Next, we've got a new look at Shakespeare, the lives of inhabitants of a housing commission tower whose paths cross after a shocking event occurs on their front doorstep. This is Measure for Measure. If you see my sister again, you will die. I love her. As do I. Her boyfriend is safe but gone. 
I need to see Duke. Duke's on holiday. We can help you and your boyfriend. Really? But we're not done yet, John. You can't do this. You're behaving. I've been a good boy. <laughs> Director and co-writer Paul Ireland taking a classic and pretty well-known Shakespeare work mm-hmm. and moving it into a more contemporary setting. Yeah. Our writer, Kat McAlpine, who happens to be a uh, theater performer, and she not only has she done a lot of Shakespeare, she has also directed right. some Shakespeare. So, so she knows her stuff. Yes. And, and she really appreciated this film, and what she thought was the most impressive was how well... Ireland worked in new material to this, how well he fitted in, and that in in certain instances, she thought it really made the story stronger. Right. And would have loved to see him diverge a little bit more. But it's uh, the great Hugo Weaving is in the lead here, and there's so much symbolism. The story is told visually so well. It's a if you if you're a fan of the original, this is really a vital version to see. But even if you don't know it, I'm not particularly familiar with that play. I really thought that it was a, a powerfully told story. And uh, if you want to check out Kat's written review, I uh, encourage that. You can find it at madwolf.com. And another documentary, an eye-opening and shattering analysis of the behavior, psyche, condition, and stability of one Donald J. Trump. It's called Unfit, the Psychology of Donald Trump. Sociopaths can be successful because they're con men. He cheats all the time. He's going to cheat at golf. You don't think he's going to cheat to win an election? You don't think he's going to cheat to break rules, to get information from foreign countries? My God, he just admitted he does it. Is Donald Trump fit to serve as the president and commander-in-chief? I can answer that with one word, no. I've never really liked the Trump is an idiot, Trump is a buffoon aspect of the anti-Trump rhetoric. I think it does diminish some of the real dangers he poses. Trump has helped autocrats all around the world. To whom will history be kinder? Those who spoke up during the age when Trump rose, or those who were silent? Well, the written review for this one was done on MadWolf.com by Seth Troyer. And, well, you can get it from the title. This is pr- exactly. pretty much it. This is an examination <laughs> of Donald Trump. And um, without getting too political, we're not fans. And uh, I think especially right now, so close to the election, I don't know how many people this is going to sway. Right. Because at this point, he's got his fans, and I don't think they're going anywhere and other people that are not his fans are probably already going to be of a mind close to what this movie is uh, preaching in the first place. Right. But when you're looking at it from a strictly filmmaking standpoint, how well does it tell its story and make its case? And I think Seth thought, for the most part, it's fairly even-handed. It is preaching to the choir. Basically, it's very difficult to watch because it's basically just confirming all that perhaps you have really thought in sort of your deepest, darkest moments. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it is a difficult film to watch, although in some ways, I suppose, somewhat comforting in that it does sort of shed some light and confirm your fear. Exactly, and that is streaming now. You can find the written review at madwolf.com. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. And I guess this week, it's all about Tenet. It seems like everybody else just kind of cleared a space, and for the next couple of weeks, just seeing how Tenet is doing. Yeah, it pretty much has the run of things for the next three weeks. Aside from Unhinged and, I guess, New Mutant still being out, it's 
it's September is really all about tenant, both at the box office and uh, I'm guessing what the other studios are paying attention to and deciding what they want to do going forward. We got a new James Bond trailer this week and it was confirmed that they are sticking with their November date. And I'm sure that tenant doing better business than expected overseas has everything to do with that because James Bond usually makes more of its money abroad than it does in the U.S., even though they're always very successful here. You yeah. um, you and I were talking earlier, uh, Daniel, that Christopher Nolan is a great test case, you know, for Hollywood and for theaters because he's kind of bulletproof because if this movie didn't do well, it's not a franchise. So there's not, not a worry that there are other films that are relying on it to do well. And so they could put it out and just sort of see what happens, see if people were ready to get back into theaters, see if theaters were able to manage the box office and it does look like it's doing well but you also made an interesting point about how everything that's out right now and really everything that they're planning to come out soon they're all adult oriented films it is interesting of course you know some theaters are playing older movies at cheaper prices just to get butts in seats and try and entice people to come out of their homes but yeah there's there's really no i mean i'm not looking at the schedule right now but there's really no traditional family movie out until at least October, maybe not even November at this point. It just seems like they're trying to really just get a handle on whether people are ready to come out. And I guess the easiest way to do that is to target adults so you're not crowding theaters with a family of four as opposed to just one person or a couple or just a couple friends. Of course, adults would probably be more comfortable showing up to a theater without a child in tow during the middle of all this. But yeah, it, it really feels like they're they're feeling things out a bit. Well, you mentioned the new James Bond trailer, No Time to Die, which looks very cool. So that is still on its uh, release, the same release date schedule. And then have there been any other uh, delays? Yeah, Bond is still set for release in uh, late November. I'm sure it comes out in England and Europe a little bit earlier, but not by much. But beyond that, there really haven't been many delays. Um, September is still mostly empty. October is semi-full. But, you know, who knows how long that'll hold. But I guess the big the big news on this front this week is that Paramount has pulled all of their remaining 2020 releases that weren't already going VOD and pushed them all to 2021, with the exception of the sequel to Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, which is currently still set for December release. But uh, it's on their front showing a lack of confidence in how things will uh, proceed going forward as opposed to, you know, Warner Brothers releasing Tenet right now and still having Wonder Woman set for October and all of that. Right. And then, of course, the big news broke yesterday with the Batman being shut down because of... Did Robert Pattinson, did he admit it was it was him? They were being a little coy about that, but he's the one that has uh, COVID? That's everything I've seen is that it was Robert, pa- Robert Pattinson. Yeah, it is. At first they were saying it was a crew member, and maybe there were crew members that are uh, positive as well, but it's definitely Robert Pattinson, and production is shut down again. Wow. They'd only been filming for three days. Yeah. They hadn't even made it all week. Uh. You know, it'll be interesting to see if that has any kind of a ripple effect, you know, for these massive hundreds of people on the crew and dozens of people on the cast. Maybe it was too soon to to start all that back up. Yeah, I can, I can see how smaller productions might be able to manage it, but a movie of that size, it's definitely a massive red flag, and I really wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them pumped the brakes on their shooting schedules. You know, after that happened. Yeah, definitely a cautionary tale. Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at the Schlocketeer. Thank you much. All right, thanks again. 
Well, looking at next week, just like we talked about, seems like uh, we're still giving Tenet a wide berth. We've only got four on the docket for next week. Red, White, and Wasted. Red a pal. I really liked that. Entwined. And Indigo Valley. All right. And maybe, who knows, there'll be other things popping up between now and then. If so, we'll talk about those next week. In the meantime, boy, a lot to talk about with these movies. Tenet. And I'm thinking of ending things. We could just go on and on (laughs) (laughs) with uh, how you interpret these. Or even Mulan. What do you think about that? Uh, Let us know. Always glad to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way you can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Or the Facebook and Instagram is Mad Wolf Columbus. And as we have mentioned, the main website with all our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. That's all found at madwolf.com, so keep in touch if you can, and we always appreciate you stopping by. If you would, take a second and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We would appreciate it. Yes, we would. Until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>